0: A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to
1: Transformative Experts. Today I have Dr. Mira Branku. Um, Mira has, a, she's got a long bio with lots of great stuff in it. She has worked with the Department of Veterans Affairs as an organizational psychologist. She's got her own practice where she does uh, consulting psychology with a lot of leaders and teams. She's a professor, actually an associate professor at Duke University, which is a fun one for, for me, given how much we love that school. And... Um, and most recently, I think, author of The Millennial's Guide to Workplace Politics. You, you're an expert on millennials. So we've, given everything that's going on, I, I'm just really excited about our conversation today. Welcome, Mira.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Really glad to be here.
1: So for our audience, you know, you have you have such a great story. I'm familiar with it. Nobody else is. And, you know, no one ever just gets to a level of success like like you have and, and, and where you are without a great story behind it. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I I want you to take us back and, and I I don't want to give anything away, but, um, would you please share your story with our audience? How do you become an expert at at all of these things?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, let's take you all the way back. (laughs) So, um, I'll start with the fact that, um, we, my family and I came to the United States as political refugees from another country that was um, at that time communist uh, dictatorship country. So we ended up um, you know, having the the fortune to be sponsored to come over as political refugees and started out in New york city in in New York, um in an area that was, full of immigrants like us where english was not the first language it was a second language for many people coming from many different places
0: mm-hmm.
2: and it took me a really long time to learn and understand the language just english um, as i was trying to understand the language i think looking back it really planted the seeds for my interest in psychology my interest in uh, organizational psychology, team development, people development, because I took a lot of time trying to understand this new culture. Uh, what worked? What didn't? Why people got along? Who was popular? Why were they popular? Uh, why did they have the power? You know what? Um, and over time, as I learned to understand the language, uh, in my first job, which actually before I was a psychologist, I was a school counselor. I realized only then, I mean, I was in my twenties. Okay. I spoke like I am speaking with you now. Strong command of the English language here. Right.
1: Yeah. I can barely pick up an accent (laughs) at all. Really.
2: (laughs) Right. And, but what I learned was understanding the language was only half the battle that there was a culture, not just in this country, but everywhere you go, that you had to understand in order to be successful. And I made a lot of mistakes. Happy to share what those mistakes were. I made a lot of mistakes because I didn't realize that my success was not just dictated by my strong command of the language. It was dictated by all kinds of cultural factors, that influenced whether I would be successful, whether I would even understand how to navigate really complex systems. And this was probably the seed that planted my interest in organizational or workplace politics that eventually led to the book too. Um, At the end of that experience, I told myself, okay, I am clearly no good at this stuff this workplace politics stuff, this culture stuff, I am going back to school. And also I'm never, ever going to work for another large bureaucratic hierarchical system again.
1: (laughs) So what were, you know, if I can pause the story for a minute, you know, you talked about some of the mistakes and we all learn from mistakes. What what were some of the triggering events for you that got you to that point? What I mean, I'd love some specifics.
2: Yeah. Uh, So I remember one situation Specifically, where I had gone to some kind of training or read somewhere about ethical decision making, and I had put uh, two and two together and somehow got six <laughs> and decided that what we were doing um, was unethical. And I immediately shot off this super long, thoughtful email to my leader saying, I think what we're doing is unethical and I think we need to really think about this and et cetera, et cetera. And you, you can imagine like, just, I, I'm looking at your face right now and you can, I can see how painful <laughs> your, you, like, your reaction Been is like, there, yeah. Oh, that's, yeah. that's painful. <laughs> yeah. We can
1: see what's coming already. Right.
2: You can. And, and you? wait, wait, wait.
1: So, and, and how, how old are you at this point?
2: So I was probably 26, I would guess.
1: Okay. So we got some, you know, seasoned veteran leader is hearing from (laughs) Uh uh, some 26 year old. We all hear all the ego. I don't don't put all that stuff in here and here we go. Okay.
2: Some young punk know it all. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the next thing I knew my immediate supervisor was at my door and she's like, Mira. Um what you sent was not appreciated. <laughs> oh, gosh. And it it was then that it sort of like hit me like a ton of bricks, like, oh no. Um, so she sat me down and I said, Oh my gosh, um, I feel so bad. I want to sit down and explain. And what I realized at that moment was there was an entire set of circumstances, an ecosystem, a culture, um, meetings that have happened that I was never part of that, where decisions were made. And I had not had any seats at those tables. I wasn't part of the you know decisions. I wasn't part of any committees. I hadn't heard what other policies uh, came into play. Um, I just sort of like made my own assumptions based on just some basic training that I learned. And it just helped me realize that, um, what you learn from like a traditional setting, whether that's like, you know, a paper, an article, a degree that you get, that's foundational, Mm -hmm. but it only gets you so far because the rest of it is all, how do leaders, how do teams get to their decisions? Um, how does uh, any group of people come together and make decisions based on lots of variables, um, people variables, policy variables, all kinds of things? And those are the kinds of things that I had thought were very straightforward, but in fact are not straightforward at all. And that is kind of what it, it didn't like 100 percent dawn on me at that point because I was so embarrassed I couldn't look past the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. I couldn't look past the anger. I couldn't, you know, look past the sort of anxious uh, energy that I experienced by making such a grave error and upsetting my leaders. Um, and there was an additional piece to this that made it even harder for me to learn my lesson at that point, which was that my supervisor um, said, "No, no, I, I, um, I don't want you to talk to the leader about this." Um, I took care of it for you. And I said, Oh, wow. Really? Thank you so much. I, I don't have to address this. Everything's fine. What did you do? What did you say? And she said, Oh, I just told her that English was a second language for you. And you sometimes miss things. And um, you know, this is one of those things that you missed.
1: Yeah. That had to feel Uh real good.
2: Ah, yeah. Um, It, yes. So I, I felt angry, of course. I mean, Yes, English was a second language, but now obviously it's a first fluent language, right? Um, But more importantly, it made it clear that she felt like she had to make that excuse for me because I was that clueless, Mm -hmm. that she felt like she had to have some excuse for why I was so clueless. And I just felt like from that point on, though, I was kind of labeled as, oh, that clueless person that shouldn't be invited to any of the meetings because she won't get it she won't be able to really help us with decisions because she'll miss things that are really important.
1: And it's, it's really, it's, it's amazing. I, the story is a great highlight because, okay, you know, English, second language, whatever the case may be. I have seen this happen with people who didn't go through what you went mm. through early in mm-hmm. life. Same kind of thing. And then once that label hits, it's forever when you're in a company, yeah. it really is.
2: Yes. Yeah. That's right. You can't, you can't get out of it and you can't learn from it because it, it sort of stops the learning. I think at that point, yeah. there's no coaching past that. Right.
0: Yeah.
2: And so I went into my next profession f- feeling fairly defeated, bitter, anxious, um, lack of confidence. And I hid that, um, Through a nice defense where I um, told my um, new boss, Hey, look, I'm not really looking for a career. I just want a job. I got other things to do outside of this, just so you know. (laughs) That was my defense.
1: Another good start, by the way.
2: (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Boy, was I brass. So that was my defense. And thank goodness this was like a fairly wise. very seasoned uh director supervisor and somebody who really liked mentoring and coaching and he clearly was like "Mm, okay i'll take that into consideration and we'll see what happens Um, and what what he did over time which i'm so thankful for is he ignored my words Mm -hmm. and instead just gave me challenges And just said, hey, I got this opportunity, you interested? And I would keep saying yes, as if I was actually looking for a career instead of just a job.
1: Sure, Sure. it's an interesting approach, too, asking if you're interested.
2: (laughs) Exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, This was the beginning of um, many, many sort of um, growth opportunities for me. And also looking back in hindsight, realizing just um, how much you can support younger leaders and especially women leaders who have sort of faced a lot of barriers and come into a situation feeling defeated or low confidence because of, um, you know, past experiences and how you can sort of help um, get them out of that. That, that funk and back into reconnecting with their strengths and their their value and what they could really contribute um, and channeling that sort of curious energy that I had around trying to fix systems, mm-hmm. but in a way that was way more effective than what I was doing before. So he would, um, you know, listen to me um, being all judgy about something <laughs> like Um, I don't think this is working. I think we need to do this instead. And then he would help me think about it from multiple perspectives and from a bigger strategic perspective and from a um, systems perspective, which some people might call politics. Mm -hmm. Um, Other people might just call it relational systems level thinking um, where you think, okay, who would find this most upsetting? Who needs to be at the table? Who needs to be included because it would be pretty upsetting to them that they're not included in that decision-making. Um, how do we go about um, starting this kind of larger scale change in a way that is acceptable and understandable to people and invites people in the process instead of pushes them away. Um, instead of you making it all about like an independent decision without other people. All of these things are, you um, ways that I learned to have much more impact and influence um, and channel all of that sort of inner sort of leadership, systems level, organizational development type of energy that I didn't know I had. I didn't know what that was. Um, I just knew that I was sort of fascinated, and interested in fixing organizational issues. That's sure. all.
1: Sure, and so how did, you know, I? Kind of a little bit of a detour, I guess. But how did that lead you to Veterans Affairs? I mean, you know, mm. it was was that where you did where you learned further, or, or you know, I'd love to know more about your interaction with the veterans themselves.
2: Yeah, yeah, great question. So, the, so once I have closed out, finished my school counseling career. I went back to school to be a psychologist. Mm-hmm. I thought, OK, this, this would allow me to have a much more flexible career, more avenues for different types of changes in my career. If something didn't work out, I was less boxed in. you know. Um, and I wasn't necessarily seeking out to working for the Department of Veterans Affairs. I personally don't have veterans in my family, because of course, we came here from a different country. They're sure. veterans from a different country, <laughs> but not from this one. Um, and however, um, I had, you know, your last year as a, as a psychologist um, in training is applying for internships. And so one of those was the Department of Veterans Affairs. That's where I did my internship. And I absolutely um, adored working there. I loved working with veterans. I loved the issues that um, I was involved with. Um, I felt a deep sense of mission. And connection, and that is um, kind of how I came to wanting to stay, wanting to stick around.
1: Excellent. Well, I, I want to explore that that in a little bit more depth, especially the the, the mission and you know, alignment of purpose. So, um, we have to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back and we'll continue our conversation. So, stay tuned, everyone. We'll be back
0: in just a couple of minutes. It's time to transform your business with the help of The Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias official and on Facebook and Twitter at the Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is transformative experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformative experts.com. now back to transformative experts. And we're back with
1: Dr. Mira Branku. So Mira, before we went to the break, um, we, we had just started talking about your, 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 time with, with, um, the department of uh, veterans affairs and, um, how you fall, fell in love with, with basically the mission, how you felt aligned to it. Um, just tell us a little bit more about that because again, that does shape how we coach people today. Mm.
2: Yeah. Um, There's something about growing up that, you know, in terms of how I grew up, that really made me very sensitive to people's um, needs, emotions, social causes, um, wanting to give back, um, a certain sensitivity to um, people in need. And this, all of this put together probably led me to be interested in counseling and mental health, um, as well as being interested in um, populations that don't receive as much attention or are overlooked. Mm -hmm. And um, on the one hand, veterans are uh, very much in this country – uh, supported, revered, we we um, look up to them for the service that they you know provide and protecting the country. Um, and at the same time, they have experiences where they come back and are sometimes forgotten, or or people sometimes um, forget just how much they really need yeah. support in in um, transitioning back. Um, and the Department of Veterans Affairs is one of those few very like um, structured large-scale ways to support veterans in a very specific way and very specific subset of veterans veterans who are um, seeking um, you know the uh, the support from the government to um, for health care and there is a sort of bigger, there's a higher level mission here that you sort of, it's hard not to connect to and feel like you're making a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, that's the huge aspect about working um, in this way is it feels like you are truly making a difference within an organization like this that um, serves people who have served the country, for example, um, and there's other organizations that do that. You know, it just happens that I ended up with this one.
1: Yeah, and that further supported your mission. So I, I want to go back a little bit in time, you know, because before we get into a little bit more about what you're doing today, which is so mission aligned as well, you know, when when you moved, when 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 you left, and I I believe was it Roma- Romania? Was that the, yes, uh, the country you, you left from mm-hmm. from from? Um, a previous conversation, I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Uh, how old were you when, when that happened? Six. And so at age six, how much of the life in Romania prior to the move do you actually remember, and how much did it influence this um, hmm. this part of your mission versus maybe what you learned once you got here?
2: Yeah. Um, I, I I did remember it, but as a child, you only remember, like, usually good things if if yeah. most of the, the – um, people in your life, you know, care and support you. That's what you remember. And so I remembered good things that I didn't really realize, except the fact that like there were strange things. Like I would as a four year old be put on a four hour food line to get coffee while my mom stayed on a different four hour food line to get, um, bread Mm -hmm. because food was rationed and if you only stayed on one line you only got one thing and that was the end of the day and so there was something about hard work and sort of the bigger collective that was instilled in me as a very very young child the rest of it I think came after we moved and I started really understanding um a bigger culture and navigating a culture where I had to do a lot on my own because my parents didn't speak English or weren't as engaged in, um, you know, the system as sure. I was starting, starting to be engaged.
1: Well, and so, so I guess my question, another question I have, this is kind of more of, of a question to you as a psychologist now. Um, when a child is that young and has experienced those things, whether they're good experiences or bad how much of that imprint becomes a driver of, of who they become later on?
2: I think a huge, huge driver, uh, upbringing is, you know, they say nature versus nurture, right. And, and that it should technically be 50 50, but, um, that nurture, that 50% um, makes a huge difference between, you know, uh, two different people. They've done a lot of studies where they've, you know, they, they've looked at twins that were sort of separated at birth, raised in different ways. And some of the things that they experience are definitely um, related to their DNA. Um, but there are there is such an impact on your upbringing in terms of how you grow up and make decisions about what's important to you. What do you value? Um you know how you create relationships that are all about how you were raised as as a young person.
1: Excellent, excellent. So all of this led to your your mission today, and and you know I think you're still doing some work with with uh, veterans affairs, uh, and you have your own practice. You're you're launching programs and you've got this focus on millennials. Um, I believe you also have a focus on women and I don't know if there are other kind of categories you get out, but, but, but talk to us a little bit about how then your mission helped you form your work today.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So let me, um, sort of describe then my career trajectory from the department of veterans affairs till now, because yes. that has incredible impact on what I do now. Um, So I mentioned this um, amazing mentor that I have that took me under his wing and he identified strengths in me that I did not know I had and um, was willing to um, help me hone them, develop them in in a way that completely catapulted my career and especially a leadership journey that I never in my wildest dreams thought I could have. Uh, I never even thought of myself as a leader um, or that I was interested in that path. Um, I went from uh, a management position to eventually being the deputy director of one of the mental health centers of excellence for the Department of Veterans Affairs and interim director of another, eventually supporting all 17 mental health centers of excellence and slated to keep going. Mm -hmm. Um, At some point, though, Um, there was kind of a reflection of what what were the things that I really enjoyed most and what I appreciated most about that journey and what was happening. And I really loved being able to mentor other people. And especially I, I would get a lot of women earlier in their careers asking me, Uh, questions about how did you develop this career and how do you navigate the system and how do you, how do you, how do you get visible for the work that you do and how do I position myself well? And all of these sort of career slash leadership development questions. And this is what sparked my interest in starting a women's leadership development company on the side. That was the beginning of it. Um, And um, over time, I, realized what I had done was re-specialized from being a clinical psychologist to being an organizational psychologist without even realizing that's sure. what I was doing over sure. time. As I developed my own leadership, my own teams and the organizational mission and outcomes, that's what it led to. Um, so now what I do is I, I have switched over to a new role within the the Um, VA, which is um, an organizational development psychologist, and I work with leadership teams and executive leaders um, to continue that work and support leaders in their efforts to make transformational change and culture changes and um, develop themselves and their teams. And I do that outside of that with uh, academic Mm -hmm. um, and research leaders and, um, and healthcare leaders. Um, but with a very special emphasis on um, supporting women leaders and those from marginalized um, communities who often don't get as much access to the same resources um, and information. Um, The kind of development that I had access to that I felt like was so rare. I sort of ended up making a commitment to wanting to share that more broadly through what I learned and being able to, um, share it with other people who may not have access to that.
1: And I'm kind of curious though. So when we talk about the access, not being there, what are, what are some of the barriers? Is it cost? Is it just knowledge that it's there? What are the things that, that keep people from being able to get into those, you know, into those programs or, or working in those areas?
2: There are a lot of factors. Um, so, you know, I I, um, I think one of the, the greater, uh, most obvious factors is that even in female-dominated industries like healthcare or um, higher education, you still have more men at the top. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people hire people who are just like them. Yes. Uh, it's just kind of like a natural bias. Um, and so what that means is by about, um, you know, middle management or even the first, uh, you know, leadership role, you start seeing some of those, um, disparities, even though it's, it's equal when, when you first start working out. So the, um, that leads some women to get frustrated and leave, mm-hmm. which we're seeing a lot of right now. Um, they're, they're overworked and underutilized, under supported, uh, you know, undervalued. Um, You also might see um, uh, another factor, which is women tend to be over mentored in areas where it moves their career towards um, developing certain skills that they, um, you know, um, might be already natural at, which Mm -hmm. is um, supporting um, other people to grow and develop and Um, Develop teams, and so they end up being mentored, over-mentored into staff positions, um, but under-mentored and under-sponsored in um, positions that are much more um, strategic um, and um, business-focused that could um, lend them to then positioning themselves into those higher-level leadership roles, the C-suite-type roles, the um, you know, director type roles. And so, um, there's, there's a matter of like what communication is being offered that is different, um, when they're being, um, provided with mentorship at certain levels. Um, so there's other factors like that, but those are like, you know, those are, um, very common that we, we uh, often see.
1: And so, you know, you mentioned natural biases before and, um, you know, we've talked a lot, you know, with our clients, we we, we take a look at how people, let's say, respond to change and there's there's this aversion to change it's a bias against it right and and also when things happen you know there's kind of a natural state that that can be triggered we often we will often say that the the human mind is wired to a negative bias meaning you know that's how we protect ourselves it covers our fight or flight mechanism etc something negative happens the first thing we want to do is point the finger and blame it to somebody blame on somebody else or do some other things so there's lots of potential uh, natural biases um you know, and I'm going to ask, I have no idea on this, uh, you know, what the answer is, but where do these stem and how do we start changing, changing those? I mean, I, I get that we can, we can educate and we can train and we can talk about it and drive culture as we're older, but is there a way, even as parents, you know, is there a way that we should be working towards changing those natural biases now?
2: Um, Yeah. So there's, there are lots of ways, but you're right that the first step is just recognizing what they are. I don't think a lot of us recognize what our blind spots are because they're blind spots. We just keep doing what we're doing. Um, and one of the things that um, I do just naturally when it comes to team development and um, leadership development is helping people identifying um, to identify what those sort of biases are. Uh, or blind spots, Um, we all come at things with a very specific perspective, but, um, and, and, you know, there are a lot of sort of uh, psychological terms, um, you know, the the, um, transparency bias, the um, confirmation bias. um, There's a lot of different um, psychological concepts that describe how we think Mm -hmm. other people see the same thing that we do in exactly the same way. And it's just not the case. We have a very specific lens or perspective and other people have different lenses and perspective. So half the battle is um, helping people get in a room together and share, well, I actually work this way or see things this way. And that's totally different from you. And Oh, that's why we're butting heads all the time. Or that's why I never get any of my um, things uh, supported, um, you know, because you're seeing it in a totally different way. Um, So I think there's some personal development in there, but I also think there's some group work that can be done to help, you know, people understand what their biases are, what their perspective is, that not everybody sees things the same way. Um, That is like a very, very basic concept. It's not even focused on uh, the kind of biases that we see. in, for example, sexism, Mm racism, racism, but I think it's a start. You always have to sort of start there.
1: Yeah. And you know, it, it's hard to look at yourself. It's hard to, to, to recognize these things. And, um, there's a willingness that has to be in place. So I want to visit this a little bit more in depth after our break here. We're up at our mm-hmm. next one already. So stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes.
0: It's time to transform your business with the help of the execution culture co-written by your host, Chris Elias, make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real world advice on culture. Leadership and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, Please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts.
1: We're back one last time with Dr. Mira Branku. So just before the break, Mira, we were talking about blind spots and how hard it is to find And I, I, I didn't want to use the word before the break because it, it just gets us into a whole nother conversation. But, um, you know, there's been a lot of talk late, lately about the need for leaders to be more vulnerable. And mm. vul- the importance of vulnerability in the workplace, um, not just because of the incoming, you know, now the new the new generations that are coming in, et cetera, and it's a more vulnerable generation. And we're, we're we're actually getting better at this stuff, I think, with our younger people. But but those are those of us who are a little older maybe struggle with the um, you know the safety of things and whether or not we can be vulnerable. And I believe it takes a fair amount of vulnerability to or willingness to be vulnerable, maybe I should say, to be able to recognize we have a blind spot or a bias.
2: Yes. It takes an incredible amount of courage to face something we don't want to face or to acknowledge that maybe we might be wrong <laughs> <laughs> um, and maybe we might need to work on something. Um, and at the same time, um, I, I think we avoid all of this because it's extraordinarily uncomfortable and anxiety provoking, right? Um, If you realize that you're doing something wrong or that you need to um, develop in some area that is not as strong as the others, it's really uncomfortable and it's not pleasant. At the same time, I also also think about this um, in, so so a a couple of things come to mind. Number one, um, you can only... Reach a certain level of um, success
0: mm-hmm.
2: and leadership performance if um, you don't if you're not in constant self-improvement mode, um, you will hit a pl- plateau, you will not move on. and that could be just as frustrating. <laughs> Uh, So which is the worst, which is the worst of two evils, right? Do you want to hit a plateau and then get frustrated or be just a little uncomfortable and build a little bit more muscle? Just be sore for just a little bit so that you can be even better and better and better.
1: It's funny that you say that. You know, we, we talk a lot about alignment, core values, and everything. In, in my organization, one of our core values is is the concept of human sponge, and it's that's about continuous learning. I remember, I had a, a guy who was a former president of the company wanted to join our organization, and I just kind of asked him a simple question in the interview. I said, "So, you know, tell me, you know, are, are there, what's what's your favorite business book you've read, um, and have you applied any of that to your your you know?" current client base. I mean, anything in the last year or two, any, and his response was, you know, so many of those books are written every year. And at this point in my career, I've learned everything. It's my time yeah. to give back and all that stuff. And uh, to me, the interview was over right then and there. Yeah. I, 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 why would you, why would you want to stop learning? Another thing that was interesting, I had, a, I just had a conversation um, the other day with, with a, a, a friend of mine, You know, we were talking about, this concept of, of trust and and the fact that the, the great resignation as everybody calls it. I think it's really just a great transition is all it is really. Yeah, yeah, well. um, but a lot of people leaving, they're really leaving because trust isn't there because people aren't willing to be vulnerable in leadership roles. And you know, as hard as it is to dip your toe in that water, once you allow yourself to be there, life is a lot easier. Mm-hmm. You don't have to put a front on anymore. You can just be yeah. yourself. I mean, it, it's amazing, but it is such a hard step for people.
2: It is, and I also think about it from um, a a team and organizational perspective. So, um, Patrick Lencioni, who wrote the book um, Five Dysfunctions of a Team.
1: One of my favorites.
2: Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, He talks about the most fundamental first-level trust and indicates that the greatest challenge for teams – is there and for leaders is there need to stay to be to be perceived as or present as invulnerable mm-hmm. and if they cannot move past that point they can't move past the need to be invulnerable then they cannot move up to higher levels of commitment and accountability and being able to have constructive conflict and that highest level which is results the high-performing leader has to start with that. They have to start with, and the high-performing team has to start with, um, you know, developing that that need. So um, we often talk with teams about what does that actually mean to be vulnerable? We're not asking for your deepest, darkest secrets here,
0: right? right? Like
2: right. All we want is for you to learn how to ask for help and how to receive help. The um, Edward Shine talked about um, the humble leader and um, one of his concepts is the helping relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's where that comes from, right? Like being able to create helping relationships so that it's not just you out there on your own in isolation, trying to get all the things done. It's creating helping relationships so that you're leaning on each other. That's vulnerability. Right. You're leaning on each other, asking for help, receiving help. That's all it takes.
1: And so um, leading or, or transitioning then to the book, you know, all the, the things that you're describing right now are all part of, if we use use the common term, you know, organizational politics. Right. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, you know, as happens with every generation, I'm not faulting one generation or another, every generation as it moves into the workplace, there are shifts that occur. And, you know, the, the incoming generation has to learn how to work with the outgoing generation, but the outgoing generation has to recognize that the world is changing. And we're in another one of those changeovers. And so your book really about helping millennials, you know, kind of come in and work with and understand and, and live within workplace politics, I think is, is a really nice cornerstone piece for these people. So I wonder if, if, if you would talk to your book a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I will say that this is part of a series by um, Dr. Jennifer Wisdom, who has the Millennials Guide to book series. So Mm -hmm. she is really the expert on millennials. And I brought in the expertise around workplace politics and especially positive workplace politics. That was my um, sort of greatest interest is how do you create positive workplace politics? And yes, there is some. But in terms of um, generational, yes, I... um, the funny thing is that even though we wrote it um, to be accessible and understandable, digestible for millennials, I have had plenty of 60 year olds coming to me. God, I wish I had this book when I was younger. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> and because, really. I mean, you know, and, and um, so I feel like every generation, 95% of the book is, is really like for any generation, anybody, who is trying to make sense of um, a very complicated system and um, doesn't want to necessarily engage or wants to know how to deal with really negative politics. Um, And it starts at the positive. It starts at how can you be proactive? And like we were already talking about, um, literally one of the first steps we write about is understand yourself. Self-awareness is key. Um, I often say this, um, know where you stop and someone else starts. Yeah. Because if you don't, you're going to escalate all kinds of problems, not realizing you're pushing somebody else's buttons because your buttons were pushed. <laughs> um, so that's what the book is about. It is um, kind of less about theory or research, although it is very much rooted in, in the, the theory and research Um, Out there, but it is um, every other page is just a question of how do you deal with when somebody takes credit for your work? How do you, um, you know, manage a a boss who is um, sabotaging all your work? And it goes with, you know, to step by step bullet points and a little bit more reading. So it's, you can literally turn to any part in this book and learn a little bit more. Um, And I poured, I basically poured everything that I could possibly remember about my lessons learned mm-hmm. um, over 10 years of leadership into this so that I could just share everything that I felt was so hard to understand when I was really young in my career.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really excellent. So as you consider all the, the things that are in there, what's the, um, what do you think is the number one hurdle, barrier, you know, struggle somebody new coming into the workplace today. So millennial Gen Z, but you know, first real workplace job, whether it's out of college, or maybe in some cases out of high school, what's what's the biggest barrier they're going to face?
2: There are a lot of barriers, but listening to some of the people who have come back to me and said, Oh, my God, I needed this part so badly. um, Were things like um, somebody else, Usually appear, but sometimes a supervisor, um, either dismissing your contribution, taking credit for your tra- contribution, or trying to step on your sort of contributions yeah. um, so that you feel kind of pushed out, left out, um, uh, you know, like somebody is, is uh, like, like there's a competition there or a power mm-hmm. grab basically, and how to manage those power grabs.
1: Wow, and so you know, outside of the book, then I mean, you know, back to the the programs you've created, you've got this strategic leadership pathway um, program, for lack of a better yeah. term. Yeah, um, like and so that's that's geared to help people through specifics. And I don't know, you know, whether you take on kind of anyone or it's there's a very targeted market. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit to that program.
2: Yeah, so a lot of leadership programs these days, and especially those that are are targeted. Uh, towards, towards women or towards earlier career folks, um, take a very sort of competency-based model. It's static. It is, you know, here are the things you need to learn. It's very didactic. Um, Though I feel like those are very outdated. And these days you really need to learn how to be flexible, adaptable, and grow over time. Um, So I developed this program with a five-stage framework based on the research that I read about um, what we're missing in that kind of model, in that growth developmental model, and what um, especially women are missing from the current available leadership development models out there. Um, So it moves people from facing uncertainty to... Um, developing their identity as a leader uh, to strategically mapping out what they'd like to do, how they want to show up, uh, navigating complexity, and eventually making a greater impact. And that last piece, I feel like, meets um, a lot of new leaders um, and a lot of people in the, the upcoming generations where they're at, which is they want a company that has a greater mission where they can make a greater impact and they're looking for that. Um, and so it is sort of moving leadership development into the new generation of what needs to happen for future organizations to thrive and for people within those organizations.
1: It actually sounds like it could be another, another book, maybe this one, a bestseller. <laughs> I, I, I know a lot of people that, that struggle with those very questions and, and, and maybe multiple times in their career. You know it's it's really funny, but but when I left the corporate world twenty two years ago, um, that those were concepts I struggled with. And, and even once in a while, still ask myself those same kind of questions today. I think a lot of people would benefit not just from the program, but but um you know, maybe this is maybe this is a good book to to put out there.
2: Thank you. yeah, you know the questions of identity, meaning, purpose, those are the ultimate questions for us, right? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we've only got a couple of minutes left. I do kind of have maybe maybe one more question. Um, maybe more than that we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but one more question in particular. So now, if you were able to go back in time and advise the twenty six year old Mira on how to write that memo to that leader, what how would that memo read?
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, the first is hold back. If you're writing more than three sentences, this is a conversation, not an email.
1: What a great point. I want to just pause right there. (laughs) Too many people try to have conversations in email or text, and things go much, much faster if two people are talking with one another. Thank you so much for making that point.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the second would be, uh, what is it that you think you know that you don't know? What are you missing? What do you want to know? What is, what is the ultimate goal of sending this message? If it's to make a difference, if it's to make a change, if it's to make an impact, if it's to fix something. That's also a conversation. Why don't you get involved in a different way than telling people?
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs>
1: so true. I, you know what? It, it's just funny because I know as you teed up that story about, about it, and you know, maybe somebody might say, "Oh, yeah, you know, it was it was what she said? It was language barrier." Everybody has that story. I mean, if you've yes. grown in the workplace and you have any self awareness, we all we all have that that story where where we learned a hard lesson early on on how to communicate. Well, not everybody learned that lesson, but but we all have that story. Yeah. So, Mira, I, I really would like to thank you for being with us today. So, um, you know, doctor, for our, our listeners, Dr. Mira Branku, and um, the, the book is The Millennials' Guide to Workplace Politics, available kind of all the usual places
2: usual places, Amazon, you can find it
1: there. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and obviously if, if, if you want to um, learn from her firsthand, um, you know, register at Duke university, there's an opportunity <laughs> for you, but, <laughs> uh, but there's also, also your program. And so if somebody wanted to look up your program or, or find you, find your website, um, you know, where would they go?
2: Yeah. So go to www.brancuassociates.com, B-R-A-N-C-U associates.com. Over there, you'll be able to find all kinds of information about the program, several other programs, how to um, connect with me and, or sign up for my newsletter and you'll get all kinds of information about these programs and the book and everything else.
1: That's excellent. So again, Mira, thank you so much. And, um, you know, hopefully we can talk again sometime soon. I really enjoyed this conversation. And to our listeners out there, thanks again for listening. We've got more, uh, gr- more great guests coming, so stay tuned, and I'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.